the world's largest publisher of Christian books, Lifeway, my friend Ed Stenser, multiple PhDs, is working thoroughly to try and figure out what we are doing wrong. For 30 years, they've produced curriculum, they've done small group curriculum, they've done youth curriculum, but the trouble is people are leaving home underprepared without the answers they need to anchor their faith in fact, historical fact. That's a pity. There were three things that my friend Jim Wallace, who's, by the way, a cold case detective. He's a very famous cold case detective. I highly recommend cold case for kids, a cold case Christianity for kids. His father was also a detective, a cold case detective, and they actually worked together at one stage, and he used to say to his dad, hey, Dad, give me those cases you haven't solved. You can, you can sort of sense the competitiveness there. And that guy has. He's been on NBC, Dateline, ABC, Fox, CNN, the whole lot of them. Because he's solved cases that are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. And he talks about things like, which is really interesting. I'll just give you this. So you're hanging on to that MP3, right? Um, he's been before many juries and bringing murder cases that have happened 30 years ago. Now, here's the problem. Think about this. You show up, you're presenting the evidence, and uh, you present this bullet that was supposed to have been the one that shot that person. Well, a fair question could be, well, how do we know that bullet hasn't been tampered with? How do we know that the guy who's in charge of all the evidence in the locker room there, that's been there for 30 years, hasn't sort of swizzled the bullet? Where is they call the chain of custody? So the exact bullet we had back then, how do we know it's exactly the same one we have today? That methodology, that study is called a chain of custody. And people ask that of you. How do we know that what we have in our hands today are the exact words of Jesus? Where is the chain of custody? Can you prove that? We should be able to do that. The guys that are coming, my friends, Dr. Ray Severia and Dr. Richard Tompkins, are going to come and share how can we have confidence in the New Testament? One good question. How can we even prove that Jesus... The evidence for the resurrection of Christ, not even using Bible, using secular sources. So you don't have to get into the argument about that. You can just use secular sources that secular people agree with. You know about that, please register on reasonsforhope.net.nz and come and join us because we're going to have a fantastic time. Okay, today we're on part eight. This is an incredibly, if you'd like to take your notes out, it'd be a great time to do that. In your Bibles as well. We're going to be looking at Daniel. And will you stand strong, stand strong for God publicly? This message you need to remember because in your lifetime, especially you young ones, you're going to face this. You're going to face the lions that are coming your way. This is the eighth in the series of tests we've been looking at that Daniel went through. This guy now, Daniel, is an older man. He is 80 years in his 80s. And we're going to pick up from where we ended last week so we have some continuity. Daniel, as you may remember, had courageously interpreted a very tough message, the writing on the wall, and told his boss, whose name was? Belshazzar. Good. Come on. I like this. We're an interactive family here. This is not a performance. This is a family. So this is like a, and you come to my place around a family table, there's lots of discussion. So feel free to participate when I ask you a question there. So yeah, Belshazzar, and he's told him, Daniel said to him, 
boss, your days are numbered. Boy, was he right. Even though he gave him bad news, Daniel gave his boss bad news, we noticed that he was promoted that very night to the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But it was, to be honest, the shortest promotion in history. It didn't last but a few hours. Let's pick it up, Daniel 5.30, where we were last week on the screen. That very night, <laughs> that's not good, is it? That very night, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, uh, of the Babylonians, was slain by who? Darius the Mede, who took over the kingdom at the age of 62. You can read this in secular history. Now, Daniel, picture this, he's still in the royal palace. Darius the Mede comes in, and by the way, the royal palace there, and Daniel's outlasted two previous Babylonian kings. Now he gets another boss, Darius the Mede. But Darius the Mede has his previous god, uh, boss killed, and he ransacks the city of Babylon. But one thing I've noticed with Daniel, have you noticed this? His bosses keep changing, but he keeps getting promoted. Have you noticed that? He gets a new boss. Sounds like some people in here. They have a new boss for like every six months. But they keep getting promoted. Now the Bible tells us in the first few verses, when Darius took over, he has a clean sweep. He has a reorganization. Does this sound familiar to any of you sitting here when the new boss takes over? Let's reorganize the company. So here it goes. Daniel 6.1. It pleased Darius, this is how he's going to do this, to appoint 120 satraps to rule through the kingdom with three administrators over the top of all of those guys, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, these three, so that the king may not suffer loss. Now, what was it about this guy, Daniel, that was so unique that he kept getting promoted at work even at the age of 82? What was it? At 82, still getting promoted, still trusted, still a go-to guy. Next three verses reveal three reasons, clearly in the scripture. Why did Daniel keep getting promoted at work first? You may want to write this in. His professional competence made him stand out. He was a very skilled leader. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And I want you to complete this. Where we said that all leaders are... What? Learners. All leaders are learners. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. Daniel was a student, firstly, of God's word. Boy, did he know God's word. He read it when he was suffering, when he'd been exiled for 70 years. We'll get to that later. Daniel was a student of people. He knew how to get along and get results with a team. He was a student of history, and he was a student of culture. Daniel 6.3. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself above all the other governors and administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to put Daniel in charge of the entire kingdom. So imagine this. Here we have the 120 being appointed in the first reorgot with three guys at the top governing all these guys. But the Bible gives us a bit of an insight there. But actually, Darius was planning to put him in charge of the entire lot. Now, if you've been in the company 
and you know that somebody's going to get promoted, that can cause a bit of jealousy sometimes, yeah? Absolutely, and envy. Secondly, so firstly, his professional competence made him stand out. Secondly, his personal character. So you can have competence, but you need character. By the way, when I'm always employing people, especially in the secular world, I look for three things. In this order. Number one, actually there's four things, but mainly three. The first one would be I look for character. Then I look for competence. I don't do it the other way around, because otherwise I could get a competent crook. See where I'm going with that one? You people can be really good, but they can use their talents for bad. So first thing I look for is character. Second thing I look for is competence. Third thing I look for is chemistry. You can have people with good competence, but they're a pain in the blessed assurance to work with. Ever had some of those guys? They're good, but boy, they're like engaging porcupines. Very prickly. And the fourth thing, if they happen to be a Christian, well, it's a good thing. But it's certainly not number nine. You need competence. You need competence. You need character. Right, let's move on. His personal character made him stand out. Now, it wasn't just his professional competence, but personal character. This is a man of integrity. What he said, he did. There was no duplicitous nature in the man. He was a man of generosity. He was a man of humility. He was a man of godliness and goodness and kindness and definitely recognizable wisdom. But Daniel 6.4, notice the story. When the administrators or the satraps heard this news, mm, that he could be promoted even more, they tried to find some reason to undermine Daniel in his work and accuse him of misconduct. But, the Bible says, they were unable to do so. They could never find anything to say against him. He was honest, reliable, he was hardworking, and I love this, he was incorruptible. He was never lazy or negligent in any task. Wow. Wow. No wonder he kept getting promoted. Who wouldn't want to hire this guy? We all would, right? And one of the best ways, notice, to influence non-Christian employers is to work diligently and responsibly. Show up for work on time. Work hard. Don't steal from the boss. Very basics, but Daniel acted on this. Now, we don't know really why these underlings didn't like Daniel being their boss, but I want to suggest another possible reason, which is very ugly. But I'm just telling you how as I see this. Possibly because he was Jewish. He was from another land. And these Babylonians didn't like somebody from some other place telling them what to do. They were jealous. That's what it came down to be. So they started trying to undermine him, to try to trip him up. Ever had that experience? Now, you may be in a work situation right now that there are some people there who just flat out don't like you. Or maybe at school, or in your study group, your project group at university. Do they have any reason not to like you? You're a good person. You know, the jerk. But it's, maybe it's because of your faith. They just want you out. And this is what happens there. So they started to look, the Bible says, for ways to trap him. Be careful. Be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. So he was professionally competent, number one. Number two, he was also a man of deep character. And then thirdly, there's a third element to why he kept getting promoted. 
And this, to me, is one of the most important reasons, and it's this. He made a public commitment, a strong public commitment to God. It made him stand out. See, Daniel was very open, and he was very public about his faith in the one true God. We know from the other tests that we've seen, the other seven tests we've already been through, he was not backward in coming forward. Remember, he even talked to Nebuchadnezzar openly about God, his faith in God. And everybody knew where Daniel stood and who his faith was in, including his jealous co-workers. Verse 5 of Daniel 6. His co-workers concluded, hmm, our only chance of finding any grounds to get rid of Daniel will be to find something to accuse in his religious practices. So if we're going to nail him, we're going to nail him about his religion and what his beliefs are. So the satraps concoct this Daniel trap. Let's read the story, and then I'm going to extract some lessons from it. Daniel 6, 6 through 9 on the screen. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. Grease, grease, butter up, butter up. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, in other words, everybody, has all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. This is where we get the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And you can read about that in your own time in this chapter, Daniel 6. These guys were appealing to the king's ego. Oh, you're so great. You're the man. We think nobody should worship anybody but you and pray to you. So therefore, now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So in a moment of pride induced weakness he says sure why not so Darius put the decree in writing now the law of the Medes and the Persians is well known in history you can read about it and it's this if the king made a law it could never be reversed not even by the king and these guys are so desperate to get rid of Daniel that they pass a national law just trying to stitch up one guy. And then how did Daniel, or how, yeah, how, how did Daniel respond to this test? But I think we should probably look at a few reasons or a few potential options of the ways he could have responded to this new law. Let's consider them. Let's put them up one at a time. Number one, he could accept the law and kind of fake pray, you know, just close his eyes and... Just forget about it for 30 days. Number two, he could publicly protest with the picket signs. You know, we shall be able to pray. We shall be able to pray to who we want. He could try that. Third, he could appeal to the king privately via a back door. But remember, the king couldn't even change that law. So that's probably not a very, an option that's got many legs. Number four, he could keep praying to the real God, but he could just do it in secret. That's an option. 
But if he did that, the enemy would still win. Because the whole purpose of this law was to make one guy, Daniel, cave in and be ashamed of his God. Number five, he could keep praying publicly as he'd done all his life, as was his habit and his custom. Now, which option would you choose? Tomorrow a law came out in New Zealand that said it is illegal for you to attend a public gathering of Christians or you'll be severely fined. What would you do? Is there a role for civil disobedience in Scripture? Do you ever see it anywhere? Where the government says to do one thing but you know God says something else. Is there ever a, a place for civil disobedience? Plenty of places in Scripture where people have stood up against crooked laws. Just because it's a law doesn't make it right. How about the time when the midwives were told to murder all the babies? And they, remember with Pharaoh? Do you remember that? And they said, we ain't going to do that. You remember that? There were many, many, many places. They were told by, how about Peter and John? Don't mention this name anywhere. Jesus. And they said, listen, mate. What you do, what you do. But as for us, what are we supposed to do? Please you or please God. Forget you, we're pleasing God. They just stood up against them and said, no. Just a question. What would you do? There's a cost of being a Christian. And can I suggest to you humbly, it's going to get dearer. The weak will fall away when persecution comes. The strong who endure to the end and if you read the book of Revelation, go to the very end over here. John's writing to the churches in Revelation, and to each one of them, notice it's a common phrase, to him who endures to the end. Many people start well, few finish well. Which option of those five would you choose? The easiest or the most convenient? Or the one that will probably get you tossed in with the lions? Which was the standard punishment? I think the big question of this text is this. How far are you willing to go for your faith? Or as the title of my message is, Will you stand strong? The title of the series, Will you stand strong for God publicly? Or will you wimp out? Which one do you think Daniel chose? Let's look at it, verse 10. Even though Daniel knew the new law had been written and could not be reversed, he went to pray in an upstairs room in his house, which had windows that opened towards Jerusalem. Nothing fancy about that. That's just a tradition. Remind him of his homeland. When I was in America, I thought about New Zealand nearly every day. My homeland. And I knew exactly where it was. In Huntington Beach, I could point to the exact direction of New Zealand. Three times each day, Daniel would kneel down and pray and thank God just as he has always done. Then, those men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. Uh, and asking God for help. In other words, he's saying here, I'm not going to hide my devotion to God, to the true God. And the satraps, therefore, were able to spring their trap which Daniel was well aware of. The question now becomes is, why was Daniel unafraid to stand out and speak up for God? In this case, at his work. 
I know many Christians who are afraid to stand out at work for the right reasons. I know Christians who are afraid to stand up at work and to speak about their faith, especially when asked. I'm not talking about being so obnoxious now at all. That's not what I'm saying. You can see people in your office that are hurting. You have the answer. You have the living water. You have the bread of life. People who are desperate for purpose and meaning. And they're very confused and hurt and distressed and downtrodden and oppressed. Some people are afraid to speak about their faith at school or at work or with their friends or at university. Why is Daniel able to stand up like this? Now, we've looked at the text. Let me summarize. You may want to write these three reasons down. Number one, he remembered God was faithful in past tests. Daniel had been through a bunch of tests, actually seven more previous. And each time he has stood strong, he didn't cave in. Remember the food test? He stood up. Again, something the king had asked for. Ten days, passed that one. The beliefs, when his beliefs were challenged in, at the University of Babylon, he excelled in his education without losing his faith. He got through, as Jim was talking about, the college, let me convert that, the university days, with his faith intact. He had the impossible assignment of revealing and interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he stood strong there. He was watching what he worshipped and he refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Been there, done that before. And then he had a difficult conversation with Nebuchadnezzar. And then after that, he stood up to Belshazzar last week. All of these different tests, he remembers that God's been faithful in the past. And when you start to get scared, like, what will people do to me at work if I stand up for my faith? If I stand up for my values or my morals or my ethics? If I do what's right and I speak the truth and you start to get afraid, you need to remember how God has taken care of you in the past. And secondly, this is a big one. He had a daily conversation three times a day. He had a conversation with God three times a day, Daniel did. This is what kept him strong. The Bible says he knelt down to pray as usual. As usual. This is not unusual. He actually prayed three times a day. And you know what? The number isn't that important. What is important is it shows a continual devotion to God throughout the day, just as he's always done throughout his entire life. Now, question. If you had a conversation with God three times a day, let's just use that. Three times a day, every day of your life for, say, 82 years. Do you think you might be stronger in your faith? Do you think it may have an impact on your confidence? That maybe you may be a little less insecure? That you may be a little bit more immune to the disapproval and the peer pressure of others? What do you think? Do you think that you wouldn't fear rejection because you were strong in your relationship with God and you knew clearly what his values were, his kingdom's values, and there's no way on God's green earth you're going to violate those? Now, if you don't get anything else I say today, I've distilled this message into one sentence. And this is it. The secret of standing strong is kneeling frequently. You may want to write that down. The secret of standing strong is kneeling frequently.
the more you kneel in prayer, the stronger you're going to stand when the pressure is on in your life. And boy, the pressure will come on. Different for each person in this room. And then there's a third thing that kept him from being shaken by this move. Third, he knew the rewards were greater than any risk. Question, is it risky to break a law? Absolutely it is. There might be punishment, right, or fines. In this case, he could even lose his life. But as, as again, Peter and the apostles said to the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than man. And friends, this is really important text. That there is a very important text. Because as New Zealand continues to change, there may be some laws that you and I just cannot abide by. You're going to have to decide. Am I going to be like Daniel and Peter and the apostles, men who realized their number one allegiance was to God? Let me give you a clear example of that to give you an idea of what's coming down the pike. Next slide. Washington Supreme Court last week found a 72-year-old grandmother, Baronella Stuntsman, guilty of violating a Washington state law for refusing to use her artistic talents to compose a flower arrangement for a same-sex wedding. Where is religious freedom in this? I quote, I never imagined that using my God-given talents and abilities and doing what I love to do for three decades, she says, would become illegal. Our state would be a better place if we respected each other's differences and our leaders protected the freedom to have those differences. Now, while we must treat everyone with the dignity they, reserve, they deserve, everybody deserves dignity, everybody, everybody. But that does not mean surrendering our duties to God because they demand we do so. I would suggest to you very clearly and without apology that we must obey God rather than men. doesn't matter whether it's flowers or because you're a good photographer, my daughter. Is a great photographer. But why should she be basically bankrupted because she won't use her talents to photograph something that's against her religious conscience or her religious beliefs? Why can they take her house, her business, and her entire children's future because they're trying to force somebody to do something? Well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the baking of a cake. Maybe you're really good at baking cakes. Should you be able to do that for who you want? I absolutely think so. So, how do I not be shaken when society is changing around me? This is serious. You remember the benefits of standing um, for God. And I'm going to go through these real quick, so I want you to write quick. Five ways that I benefit every time I stand up for God. Number one, standing up for God is a victory over fear. Fear is just a feeling. It cannot last even when you're depressed, feelings don't last. When, you, when you're depressed, you feel, well, I'm going to be depressed the rest of my life. No, you're not. When I'm afraid, you know, you think, well, I'm going to be afraid the rest of my life. No, you're not. When you're grieving, I'm going to be grieving the rest of my life. No, not the rest of your life. I admit, 
that fear is a feeling that cannot last. Secondly, fear is uncomfortable. There's no question about that. But in our lifetime, it probably won't kill us. Although, who knows? It probably won't kill me. Fear won't. It's uncomfortable, I admit that, but that's okay. Thirdly, fear grows when I give into it. It grows when I give into it. But it lessens when I move against it. When I move against fear, it lessens. It reduces. And so we need to pray like the first Christians who stood strong. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, Lord, you know the threats people make. So help us as your servants speak your word without fear. Without fear. Now in those days, when that was spoken, you need to understand in the Roman Empire, it was against the law to be a Christian. You announce you're a Christian, it's very likely that you're going to end up being fed to the lions in the Colosseum. Or you're going to be strung up and hung on a cross on the Appian Way, which is where they killed thousands upon thousands of Christians. You said that, I'm a Christian, you are taking your life in your hands. Number two, standing for God builds my faith and my character. Faith and character are like muscles. The only way you develop a muscle is by putting increasing strain on them. You put them under stress. The muscles certainly do not grow if you don't use them. It would be nice, wouldn't it, eh? <laughs> if you just sit on the couch, eat your salt and vinegar chips, and <laughs> your muscles grow. <laughs> no, something else grows. Your belly grows and other parts. 2 Timothy 1.8. Look at this. This is the tenor of the scripture. You must never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. So question, are you ashamed to tell others about our Lord? In a respectful and humble manner. With the strength God gives you, notice this, we forget this part, be ready to suffer if necessary to share the good news. Standing for God is a victory over fear. Standing for God builds my faith and it builds my character. Every time you do the, the tough thing, the right thing, you grow in character, you grow in confidence, you grow in strength, you grow in wisdom, and you grow more like Christ. Look at his example. He did not back off. And he did what that scripture says. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer, if ready, uh, if necessary, for the good news. Number three, it gives God an opportunity to do a miracle. The truth is, most people have never seen a true miracle in life because they've never ever gone out on a limb, done anything risky for God ever. They've played safe. And remember, never be afraid to go out on the limb because right out on the limb is where the fruit is. Daniel saw a miracle because he gave God that opportunity. He went home, he threw the doors open 
And he said, I'm just going to keep praying like I've always been. I'm not going to be intimidated by those guys. I'm not going to hide it. They win otherwise. I'm not going to wimp out. And picking up Daniel 6.19. And the first thought of dawn, oh, by the way, what happened because of that, as you know that story, for those of you who don't, because he'd been snapped in the act, they threw him into the pit. And Darius was, he had tremendous regret about that stupid law he'd, he, he'd made and he'd been caught by his own ego. So he didn't even sleep that night, the Bible says. You can read that in your own time. But let's pick it up after the night gone through, after Darius had been through heck in the night. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the pit filled with lions. And he got there and he called Daniel in an anguished, called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, notice the consistency there, been able to rescue from the lions? Daniel answered, O my king, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions and they have not hurt me at all because God knew I've done nothing against him or you, O king. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the pit. And when Daniel was lifted out, there wasn't a single scratch in his body because he trusted God. Now, a couple of things here. Have you ever trusted, have you ever, has God ever rescued out of you out of a pit, out of a really sticky situation? Well, if he has, good example here. Praise him and let other unbelievers know. He told the unbeliever here what exactly he'd done. Standing for God's victory over fear, it builds my faith, it gives God opportunity to do a miracle, and number four, it encourages other believers to stand up. Gives them faith. When you stand up for God at work or anywhere else, it encourages other believers. They see your courage. And courage is contagious. I don't know whether you ever saw the movie Braveheart. Braveheart, when he's brave, notice how that transmits to everybody else and everybody else becomes brave. Philippians 1, 14 says this, Paul speaking. He says, because of what I've been through, the trials and the dramas and the, the things, many Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. He's the only one that matters. Number five, it's a powerful example to unbelievers. How you handle pain when things don't make sense. How you handle rejection. Probably are going to be some of your great... When somebody stiffs you. You know? Didn't deserve it, but somebody just shafted you royally. How you handle pain, how you handle rejection and betrayal, maybe two, two or three of your greatest testimonies to your unbelieving friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. We see this in the lives of Peter and John, Acts 4.13. When the council saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were amazed at their boldness and their courage. That's what they were amazed at. Since they knew they were just ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. You know where to get your courage? Being with Jesus. The more you're with him, the more courageous you are and the less intimidated you are by the tide of this world and its culture. You stand strong when you kneel often. You stand strong when you kneel often. And we see this in King Darius. Because guess what? He becomes a believer. 
It says, look, after all this happens, Daniel 6 on the screen, 25 through 28. Then King Darius sent this proclamation to every nation, race, and language on the earth. He says, I decree that the God of Daniel is to be honored and worshipped in every part of my kingdom, for he is the living God. Can you believe this? An unbeliever is writing this. He steps across the line and he says, he is the living God, the one who endures forever. His kingdom will outlast all humans. The one who endures forever, his kingdom will outlast all human kingdoms. Here it is. He is a God who rescues and he saves. How does he recognize this? Because Daniel was afraid and a scaredy cat? Of course not. Because Daniel was confident in his God. Daniel was secure in his God. Daniel was fearless because of his God. Daniel was willing to go to the pit because of his God. Just like the three other guys. Remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they said, well, God's able, and we'll never do that. If he rescues us, great. But if he doesn't, we still never do that. So understand, we're not bowing down. That same attitude was here. So Daniel continued to be successful during the reign of King Darius. And then notice again. Then the Bible says, in the following reign of Cyrus the Persian. This guy's amazing. Number six. I will be rewarded in eternity. Standing strong for God on earth, which is a blip. Against the tide, you will be rewarded in eternity. Jesus promised it. And those rewards are going to last forever. For trillions and trillions and trillions of years, it puts it in perspective. Now, when you do the right thing, fear subsides, but remember, the rewards will go on for trillions and trillions of years. And Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus speaking, he says, Consider yourself blessed. The Greek means to be envied, Blessed, to be envied. If, you, if people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you because of me, if that happens because of me, not because we're being twits, if that happens because of me, be happy knowing that you'll be rewarded greatly in heaven and remember that you're in good company. They did that the same to all my witnesses before you. He's talking about the prophets. So if you remember these six benefits, they'll help you stand strong. See, all the prophets and the spokesmen, all the godly people for thousands of years since Daniel, even moving forward, for the last two and a half thousand years, people have been getting put down for being a Christian. Do you know today, if you look up at the UN, the most persecuted people group on the planet right now are Christians. People are being, being put down for following Christ, for standing strong on moral grounds, on ethical grounds, on truth issues. You'll be rewarded. So let me just finish this now. Notice the progression. Daniel starts his life as a teenager who is unbelievably strong. He's stronger in his 20s and 30s as he goes through his tests. He stays strong in his 40s, his 50s, his 60s, and he's still demonstrating strength, not weakness. 
enduring to the end when he's 82 years old. But he's still not even finished yet. His greatest work happens when he's 85 years old. And that's in the rest of the book. You can read about it. God was, it is stunning actually. You'll read about it in Daniel chapter 9. God has so used this guy, he uses him to predict literally the coming of the Messiah and his very exact year of the Messiah's death. The exact year. The math is unassailable. He also trusts him so much, Daniel, that he even tells Daniel about how the world is going to end. You'll read that from Daniel chapter 9 moving onwards. So the point is this, Daniel made his greatest contribution probably at the age of 85, and he stayed strong to the very end. My deep concern is I see people starting to check out at 50 years old and winding down. And their attitude is, well, we've served in church. We've served long enough, we'll just leave that to somebody else. Or, well, we've given, let somebody else give. We're just going to coast between now until we check out. Do you realize, friend, that God may have your greatest impact ahead of you using all the lessons he's taught you through there? For many of you, 85 is a long way off. As for me, I want to pray this, that you start strong, you get strong, you stay strong, and I want you to end strong. Remember that Daniel's greatest contribution was 85 years old. And what kept him there was kneeling daily to stand strong in his conversations with God three times a day for 85 years will make you strong. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, your word is so clear and your spirit is so clear about what we are to do, would you give us the strength, be it in our home, in our marriage, at work, with our neighbors or our relatives, to stand strong for you. But Father, would you help us do that with humility, like your servant Daniel? Father, thank you for Daniel's example, and thank you that you have given him to us as one of the examples in scripture of how to endure to the end, to push against the tide in this current culture, which is against you. But Father, we know in the end you win. And we know that we're here as your representatives to stand strong for your values and your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, strengthen us for the road ahead that we may see you soon face to face.